and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore some of the strange superstitions associated with May Day. There'll be an ancient legend, some folk horror-like rituals, and some, quite frankly, bonkers pieces of folklore along the way. And so, to begin at the beginning. And Welsh folklore tells us that May Day festivals, the festivals that we celebrate on the 1st of May, are in fact survivals of the old Beltane fire celebrations, which I spoke about on the last episode, and if you missed that, be sure to go back and check it out afterwards. But very quickly, these Beltane fire festivals involved huge, gigantic bonfires that were lit by the ancient druids in order to ensure a bountiful harvest. And they performed some strange rituals and played some strange games around the flames. And the descriptions of these celebrations do at times sound a little bit wicker men, as do the descriptions of some of the celebrations coming up on this episode. Now, before we dive into the folklore itself, there's a very short and sweet legend I should tell you about first, which forms the basis of some of the strange celebrations we'll be discussing on this episode. And it goes like this. It was said that Goethir, the son of Greidal, fought with Gwyn ap Neve for the fair Cordelia, daughter of Lear, every 1st of May. And this fight every 1st of May would continue until the Day of Doom. And the ultimate conqueror was to be the winner of the Maiden. So, this legend tells us that every 1st of May, a fight takes place for the fair Cordelia, and this fight is destined to repeat itself year after year after year until the Day of Doom. And this legend has some obvious similarities with many other ancient myths, probably most notably the Greek myth of the abduction of Persephone by Hades. But in this case, instead of Hades, we have Gwyn ap Neith, who in Welsh mythology was the king of Anun, the Welsh otherworld, which is often compared to some, some hellish otherworld down below. And Gwyn ap Neith was the king of the Welsh fairy folk, the Tulloith Teg, and he would fight for the hand of the fair Cordelia. And when Cordelia was away, we had the darker months of the year. So this legend explains winter. And in the summer months, starting with the 1st of May, all is good once more. And that's the legend out of the way. Now, let's take a look at May Day itself. And on the morning of May Day, that is, at the first glimmer of dawn, the youths and maidens in every parish in Wales set out to the nearest woodlands. And we are told that the gay procession consisted of men with horns and other instruments which were played while vocalists sang the songs of Maytime. So, Mayday morning sounds very idyllic so far. There's music and dancing, and when the merry party reached the woodlands, each member broke a bough off a tree and decorated the branch with flowers. 
unless they were already laden with May blossoms, which just adds even further to the idyllic image forming in the mind. These frolicking youngsters are carrying so many blossoms, they can't physically carry anything else. All is good with the world. Nature is blooming. It is a time of rebirth. Now, next, a tall birch tree was cut down and born on a farm wagon drawn by oxen to the village. So they took a tall birch tree back to the village and at sunrise, the young people then placed the branches of May, the branches they'd gathered besides the doors or in the windows of their houses. So when the rest of the household arose, they would find the fruitful signs of the coming summer waiting for them. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, it just gets more and more idyllic. And you might be thinking, well, what about all this folk horror type stuff I warned you about at the start? This all sounds a bit happy and jolly and like a feel-good movie. Well, it's coming soon. And having distributed these May branches, it was followed by the ceremony of setting up the Maypole on the village green. See, now we're back into Wickerman territory. And this maypole was decorated with nosegays and garlands of flowers, interspersed with bright coloured ribbon bows, rosettes and streamers. So a very colourful maypole was erected. Then the master of the ceremonies, or maybe the leader of the May dancers, would advance to the pole and tie a gay coloured ribbon around it. He was followed by all the dancers, each one approaching the pole and tying a ribbon around it until a certain number had been tied. So they all tied these ribbons around the pole, led by the master, and with that, the dance began. When the ribbons were all tied, the dance began, each dancer taking his or her place according to the order in which the ribbons had been arranged around the pole. The dance was continued without intermission until the party was tired and the other dancers took their place. So I could say this was a case of you dance until you drop. You keep going until you can't handle it anymore and somebody else takes your place. And I've mentioned The Wicker Man a few times on this episode already. This particular scene sounds a little bit more midsummer. It's a giant dance with flowers and ribbons and you dance until you drop. You dance until you can't dance anymore until you are the last dancer standing. Now, there was also games or May dances that were called Cadir Vedwin in the south of Wales and just Urvedwin or Gangen Hav in the north, which means the summer branch. And these dances, we are told, were popular all over the country, even if they gave them different names. And even after dancing until they literally dropped around the maypole, people kept dancing and dancing and dancing. It was a day for dancing, and it was also a day for feasting. And of course, it was a day for much drinking. There was a lot of May booze, a lot of May Day alcoholic beverages that were, to quote, distributed among the visitors. So this drink was handed out to one and all. And sometimes it consisted of metheglin, which is a spiced mead, 
or just plain old mead, but frequently it was made of herbs, including woodruff, which I confess I'm not familiar with, but before writing this episode I checked on the internet, which told me that woodruff is a sweet, hay-like, earthy aroma and taste. Very appropriate sounding for a good old pagan knees up in the sunshine, although it should be pointed out that it was the men indulging in this spicy mead drinking these fragrant boozy tipples. And the women, the women were far too sensible to be touching whatever the heck this was, this potent brew. But wine was also popular at these occasions. My own preferred tipple, and presumably the preferred tipple of the classy Welsh women who didn't touch that very exotic sound in mead. They stuck to their wine, which was made from elderberry and rhubarb, which I could do with a glass of right now if anyone knows where you can buy rhubarb and elderberry wine. Now, Moving on to some curious customs. I mean, we've already had some curious customs, but even curiouser customs, seriously curious customs, that were prevalent in Wales on May Day morning as recently as the late 19th century, when, we are told, the young men of the parish decked a large bunch of rosemary with white ribbons and placed it at the bedroom windows of the maidens they admired, which is a rather complicated way of telling someone you fancy them. Although I guess it's also a sign of true love. You wouldn't go to this effort otherwise trying to track down a bunch of rosemary and white ribbons and then go in to place it by their bedroom window for them. This is what people had to do before they invented internet dating. But that's the nice side of things. What about the opposite? What if, instead of fancying someone, you wanted to insult or annoy someone? Well, Mayday was the perfect time for being mean as well. And I've already referenced a couple of films so far on this episode, but never mind folk horror, for the next bit of lore we are going to channel the Godfather. We are going to make our enemies an offer they can't refuse, because folklore tells us that in some places, whoever your enemy is, you take a horse's head, yes, a horse's head and fasten it to the latch of their door. So, the Mary Lloyd isn't the only bit of Welsh law to feature a horse's head, although in this case it's the entire head, not just the skull. And whereas the Mary Lloyd will knock the door first to try and gain entry, this horse's head is hanging from the latch on the door, ready to surprise you when you open it, and what a surprise that would be. And you might be thinking, what the heck has this person done to deserve such a punishment? Well, this wasn't done to people who had done huge harm to you or something, something terribly wrong, like a, like a dodgy business partner or something. Rather, sometimes a man did this to, quote, to spite a girl, to spite a girl, and this also worked the other way. Women could do this to spite a man. So in this respect, unlike the beer, 
Wales is very much a land of equal opportunities. Don't mess with a Welsh woman. She can leave you a present you will never forget. Well, if she happens to know where she can get her hands on a horse's head, that is, and maybe after a glass of elderberry wine. But that wasn't the only way of getting your own back on someone on May Day. And switching from the Godfather back to the Wicker Man from Sicily to Summer Isle, because on May Day, much like on Guy Fawkes Night, which I won't go into in too much detail here, because I recorded an episode all about that many years ago now, all the way back on episode 23. But on May Day, much like on Guy Fawkes Night in November, people would carry effigies about the villages. Effigies which were designed to look like, well, whoever you wanted them to look like. And these effigies would then be named after any man or woman who had made himself or herself notorious, ridiculous or scandalous. So if you've made yourself notorious, ridiculous or scandalous, maybe all three of them, then somebody could create an effigy of you and carry that around the village. They could parade your likeness around the village where we are told the effigy was greeted with laughter, shouts of derision and pelted with various missiles. And this was done, we are told, as recently as the second half of the 19th century. And I guess the only good thing about this is at least they're pelting your effigy with these missiles and shouting and hurling abuse at this effigy rather than at you personally. Always look for the silver lining, glass half full, even if an entire village hate you that much. They are hurling abuse and missiles at your likeness. Now, at the start of this episode, I told you that short but sweet legend about the battle between the darker and lighter halves of the year. And we are going to return to that concept now to wrap up this episode. And we are told that in Wales, as in England just over the border, the May Day festivities were not complete without the customary fight between summer and winter. So every May Day as part of the celebrations, a fight between summer and winter took place. And one aged Welshman, it's always a good old aged Welshman, describes one such battle as it was conducted somewhere in the south of Wales one year. And to quote, he says, When I was a boy, two companies of men and youths were formed. One had for its captain a man dressed in a long coat, much trimmed with fur, and on his head a rough fur cap. He carried a stout stick of blackthorn and a kind of shield on which were studded tufts of wool to represent snow. His companions wore caps and waistcoats of fur, decorated much like the captain's shield with balls of white wool. And these men, he tells us, were very bold and in songs and verse proclaimed the virtues of winter who was their captain. So to recap quickly, these men are divided into two groups. And one of the groups, as has just been described, are very much decked out, ready for winter. And they're going about the place praising winter and praising their captain, who seems to be the personification of 
winter. And frankly, they sound quite fierce. They sound quite ready for a fight. They're described as bold. The captain is described as carrying this big stick and his shield ready to do battle. So who is going to face up to them? Well, there's the other half, of course, the other group. And the team representing Summer are going to square off against Winter. And the captain of this Summer team, we are told, was dressed in a kind of white smock decorated with garlands of flowers and gay ribbons. On his head, he wore a broad-brimmed hat trimmed with flowers and ribbons. And in his hand, he carried a willow wand wreathed with spring flowers and tied with ribbons. And it has to be said, based on descriptions alone, this captain personifying Summer doesn't sound like he's going to give Winter much of a fight. Winter sounds rugged and fierce, like he's been chasing bears around for an entire season. Whereas Summer sounds more like a 1960s hippie going around with a big smock on and flowers in his hair. But appearances can be deceiving, as they say. And these are the two sides, the two opposing forces who are going to square off against each other. And when the two sides are assembled, all these men marched in procession with their captain on horseback, heading them to an appropriate place. The captains are not messing around. They would lead their men away from the village to some wasteland, some area of common ground where the battle, or rather the mock battle, would take place. So they take them away from civilization out to some dirty patch of wilderness. And there, the Winter Company would start flinging straw and dry underwood at their opponents, who used as their weapons birch branches, willow wands, and young ferns. So what sounded like a fierce battle to begin with, these horse-riding generals taking their men out into the wilderness for a big fight, quickly descends into what sounds like more of a schoolyard brawl than anything too deadly. They're throwing straw and sticks at each other. There's no real weapons or fisticuffs involved here. And if anyone is going to get hurt, it's probably going to be those poor young ferns who are just going about their lives, trying to grow out of the ground now that the sun is shining and have their lives cut mercilessly short to be used as projectiles. And we are told a good deal of horseplay went on. But finally, Summer gained the mastery over Winter. So Summer would always win. See, appearances can be deceiving. Then the victorious captain representing Summer selected a May King. And the people nominated a May Queen who were crowned and conducted into the village. So after all this fighting, all this mock fighting, it ends with something that can be described as something of a blind date. Between a man, the May King, who was nominated by those fighting away outside the village, and the Queen of the May, nominated by the villagers themselves. And of course, this does mean that the king and queen were then stuck with each other for the entire day. So hopefully they picked wisely and not mischievously when they put these two together. And after the king and queen had been crowned, the rest of the day was given over to feasting, dancing, games of all kind, and of course, later on, 
drinking and this revelry continued through the night until the next morning. So effectively on May Day, as with many other celebrations, the Welsh partied hard. The May King and the May Queen and all the villagers indulged in lots of drinking, lots of feasting, lots of dancing and lots of celebrating until early the next morning. But it should be said, in many cases, they did have a pretty good excuse for a big party on May Day because for many people it was a time of year for wrapping up some very serious business such as where you are going to live and where you are going to work for the rest of the year. And without bogging this down with technical stuff, but this is when half yearly rents were paid, so you paid up for the half of the year, farms were taken, house agreements and leases were signed. So there was some serious work going on, and if anyone was looking to shake up their life, to move house and start a new job, this is the time to do it. If you were a servant sick of being treated like rubbish, now you could take the plunge, now you could find another job, and to celebrate, you could go out and party on May Day with the May King and the May Queen. May Day really was a time of new beginnings. And after all of that, they partied. And who can blame them? Maybe we should take a leaf out of their book this year. And wherever you are in the world, whatever your plans are for May Day, why not use it as an opportunity to assess what is good and what is bad in your life? If there are things you're not happy with, maybe you'd like to take that leap. Maybe you'd like to try for that new job. Maybe you'd like to try and get that nicer home. Well, maybe this is the time to start planning that. Whatever big change you want to make, make it on May Day. And when all is said and done and the shades of night begin to fall, you can grab a mask, grab a musical instrument, grab a glass of elderberry and rhubarb wine and raise it in a toast to a bountiful future. And on that surprisingly inspirational note, I'll be a self-help guru yet. So ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And if you want more Mayday Folklore, the last episode was all about Beltane. So if you haven't already, be sure to check that one out. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can treat me to a coffee via my website, or you can treat yourself to some Ghosts of Wales merchandise, which is also available via the website. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, you can follow me on social media. I'm on all of the main platforms. And as well as this podcast, I've also published a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. Just do a quick search for my name and you'll find a list of all of them. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, if you really, really don't like somebody there are much easier ways of letting them know than resorting to hanging a horse's head to the latch of their door. In fact, save the horse's head until Christmas when you can use it 
to claim free cake and ale from your neighbours. Until next time, Nostar. Nostar.